Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Alison Lattermilk, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. And you know, today we are talking about like what is probably the most boss animal in the entire ocean. We're talking about, and also the cutest, the cuttlefish. The cutest. I would like to cuddle up to cuttlefish, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, they look kind of like, uh, there's something kind of like kitten-like about them when you see them at the aquarium. Indeed. You know? like, I do think kittens when I see cuttlefish. Yeah, like, you know how like a, like a cat will kind of like ball up and be like a little, you know, little handful of cat? Well, it's like, it, like cuttlefish kind of have that look going on most of the time, you know, and they're, they're hovering around in their little, uh, their little tanks and, and, you know, changing colors wildly. It's, it's amazing stuff. Yeah, we got interested in cuttlefish back when we did life um, in the beginning of 2010. We did all sorts of uh, interesting articles on cuttlefish. And one of them was this really amazing sequence in life um, in which the videographers had a pretty tough task. Yeah, yeah. They were trying to, you know, they, they have all this footage that they shot on the ocean floor. And it, and it's not, you know, when you go down onto the, the ocean floor to, to shoot something like cuttlefish mating, it's not just like, all right, we're going to turn on the camera, and then when we turn it off, we have our footage. No, it's like shooting stuff here and there, and you know, and, and it's it's all out of sequence. And it's like shooting a movie, right? And then you get it back, you hand it over to the editors, and they start trying to piece it together. And there's a pretty tricky factor here, right? What's that those because they're changing colors. It's like one second this uh, this uh, cuttlefish is small and white, and then it's like it's changed its texture. It's dark purple, and it's over here, you know, and it's all happening in the space of seconds. So. Yeah, so ma- imagine if you were like the you know the editor on a film, and you were you had shot like Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise kept like morphing into other people, you know, and you're like, oh my god, I mean, kind of does, go? right? Well, his range isn't that spectacular, <laughs> but occasionally he does morph into another person, you know, and uh, on Oprah, say, yeah, on Oprah, or you know, interview with the vampire or something, you know, it's like, but but what if all that was happening, you know, uh, in the space of like one shoot? Yeah, so cuttlefish can be hard to track, much like Tom Cruise. Yeah. They're amazing animals. Yeah, there are 120 species of cuttlefish. And uh, I, I'm assuming a lot of people out there have seen, have seen this guy. Either you've seen him in uh, or her in on a YouTube uh, video or you've, you've you watched life. You know, especially if you watch life, yeah. Or, or you've seen them at uh, seen them at uh, various aquariums, like here in Atlanta. Uh, I know we've had them uh, for different periods uh, at the at the. And you were saying uh, you saw aquarium. Him, you were saying you saw them in Monterey, right? Yes. Um, my wife and I went out to uh, California recently, and we went to the Monterey Aquarium, and we had a we got we we got a special treat uh, when we popped in there because the cuttlefish were actually breeding. And uh, depositing eggs. So it was like super magical. We almost skipped over it. We were like, oh, cuttlefish. Well, we're about ready to go. You know, we've seen cuttlefish before, but we ended up getting sucked in by, you know, the colors and the, the cuteness. And lo and behold, they were breeding. It was it was awesome. They also have some really cool cuttlefish up at the aquarium in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Good to know. Good to know. Um, eyes. Their eyes are amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. They're um they they have they're highly developed like uh, like a lot of the cephalopods and they have these w-shaped pupils so the interesting thing is they're colorblind but uh, like a lot of animals that live on the depths of the ocean floor they're great with low light mm-hmm. so when you think about it humans are, are you know we have pretty good vision and we can do cool things like reshape our lenses to zoom in but the cuttlefish can actually reshape its entire eye which i found fascinating yeah pretty cool uh and then uh, of course tentacles 
yeah. or arms, tentacles and arms. That's a, a major feature. They tend to have them sort of, uh, uh, you know, slicked together. It kind of, you know, it's kind of almost like a, um, it reminds me of like a hairstyle or something, you know, they have them slicked to, together almost in like a beak shape, you know, very, um, you know, aerodynamic. And, uh, I'm thinking mohawk, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> but they have, uh, they have eight sucker lined arms and two tentacles. Those are the longer deals, uh, to grasp prey or, uh, or to grasp other cuttlefish, you know, depending on uh, what the altercation it's is. To cuddle the cuttlefish. Yeah, yeah. It's also used in breeding, yeah. And they have a beak, which apparently freaks Josh Clark out for some reason. Yeah, they did recently did a, a podcast on octopi, and uh, and apparently Josh was just uh, freaking out over the fact that uh, cephalopods uh, have uh, have little beaks. Well, you know, I mean, I can kind of understand Josh's concern on this one. I tend to think of beaks being associated mostly with land animals, land-based animals. Yeah. Oh. Like so, it's not creepy if a bird has a beak, but if a if a cephalopod has a beak, then it's crazy. Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of a double standard. Yeah, maybe it is. My wife finds like beaks and birds to be really creepy, like especially big big birds, not big bird, but like large birds. <laughs> like you know, if you go to like uh, to R. Thomas, a little restaurant here in Atlanta where they have uh, cages outside with like toucans and stuff, um, like that freaks her out because. I think all she can think about are like, like them sort of like pecking your eyes with their big beaks or, or, you know, their little black tongues. Yeah, it is a freaky scenario. Birds are weird. Yeah. And then they also have a little, little hover skirt kind of a fin. Yeah. The, the fin is really awesome because it's like, a, like a single kind of wavery fin thing that like curves all the way around their, their, uh, their, their behind. And, uh, and it does, it just kind of like undulates, you know? And, uh, and they, they get a massive amount of maneuverability with that. They can pretty much move in any direction, uh, you know, at the drop of a hat. It's, it's, it's like, you know, it, you really get a hovering sensation watching them. They're just kind of like drifting and, or just hanging in one spot. Yeah. That is until they fire up the jet propulsion. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that happens when they suck the water into their mantle cavity and then they force it back out through the funnel. And that's just the opening located, uh, right under the head. So they do this when they want to change direction or speed, and it kind of swivels the funnel or it narrows it to intensify that blast of water. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They can it's really awesome that they have jet propulsion. It is. Um, and and it, don't you wish you had jet propulsion? Um, not really. <laughs> you know, you see your editor coming towards you with a red-lined draft of a paper you worked so hard on. You know what? I don't feel like dealing with this. You turn on the jet propulsion, you hightail it out of there. Well, okay. I, I would go for the jet propulsion provided I had... Um, uh, another defense mechanism that the cuttlefish has. Um, and again, this is another thing it squares, it, it shares with certain squid. And that, uh, that is that it has a, an ink sack. All right. Um, but, but here's the thing that's really amazing. All right. Everybody knows that like an ink sack. Okay. You know, the, a squid or a cuttlefish can create like a smoke screen of ink and then flee the scene. All right. That's, that's nothing though compared to their, the secondary use of the, uh, of the ink. And that is uh, to create um, what is called a pseudomorph. What's a pseudomorph? It means false form, and it's basically bubbles of ink surrounded by mucus. And it, it's they they shoot it out, and it kind of occupies the same amount of space that the squid uh, would that the, that the uh, cuttlefish would be in. But here's the deal: right before they shoot it out, they turn really dark, so that the cuttlefish turns really dark, shoots out this black mass that's roughly its same shape. And so then, it's a decoy, right? Right. And then the the cuttlefish turns like white, and and then uses the jets to speed away. So then the pre- so the predator sees this dark uh, cuttlefish jump, you know, speeds in to eat it, and then the the cuttlefish, you know, cuts out, and then the uh, the attacker ends up biting into this big blob of of mucus ink and ink. mucus. Yeah. <laughs> so if I had that 
defense and you were to bring me some paper that I didn't want to deal with at the moment, I would just, uh, you know, I'd, I'd hit the inks. Uh, drop a, um, a pseudomorph and then get out of there. And then you'd be, you'd be having this conversation about the, uh, about this latest draft with this big, you know, pile of ink and mucus. Also, my sense of smell would be temporarily paralyzed because the ink, um, can contain dopamine and, uh, a precursor to dopamine. See? It's a, it's so I'm sitting there confused and I have no sense of smell and Robert <laughs> has gone. He's fled the scene. See, these, the cuttlefish have it figured out. These are just amazing creatures. And we're not even, we're, we're not even halfway through with everything that's, that's cool about them. I mean, this is just like, it's like if you went to a car dealership to buy, um, like an animal, uh, or, you know, your local cephalopod dealership and you're like, all right, show me something that's just, just has, it's just has all the features. They would pull out the cuttlefish because these guys just have everything. They're, well, not to mention their brain, right? Yeah. These are, these are pretty, uh, smart creatures. Pretty brainy creatures. Yeah, they have one of the largest brain-to-body size ratios of any invertebrate out there. And uh, as active predators, they really need that big brain to kind of help them react to their environment and, you know, even learn some new tricks. Yeah, and it kind of comes down to, like, they, they need that big brain because, again, they have a lot of really cool features. It's kind of like uh, Stephen Hawking's wheelchair, um, which... Um, <laughs> so curious to see where you're going with it. Well, this is a fact that I for- I meant to mention in our Stephen Hawking podcast. And so I now you're just going to try to work it into the cuttlefish Well, no, it, just, it was not a conscious effort. But um, but no, uh, Stephen Hawking's wheelchair has like all this like crazy computer stuff on it, you know, because he, he, he depends on it to, you know, to communicate and he's just constantly plugged in. Yeah, uh, right. Were you saying that IBM sends him a spanking new... Fancy uh, so, yeah, I computer so. uh, periodically. Some, yeah, someone may have to correct me on that, but I, but I believe that's right. He gets the the latest tech, is my understanding. But he also needs the equivalent of a car battery to run it all. Uh, whereas, like a normally, uh, you know, um, you know, a powered wheelchair would have a less robust battery. So the cuttlefish is in a position where it has a lot of really awesome features, and it needs uh, a, a high, you know, caliber brain to to run it all. It's not reading books or anything, but. It's, uh, it's, super, you think. it's supercharged when it comes to things like camouflage. They never, they don't have a cuttlefish on record of, uh, reading Tolstoy or anything like that, huh? Um, they might. I don't <laughs> know. They might do, be doing some audiobooks. You know, you hear these voices on the audiobooks. You never really see these guys. They could, could it be a cuttlefish? It could be a cuttlefish. Yeah. And, and the brain is also really important in directing the, uh, pigment producing cells and in directing its camouflage activities. Yeah. Tolstoy, camouflage, you know. Yeah. Um, before we get to, into the camouflage hardcore, though, uh, just a couple other quick anatomical facts. Um, they're obviously they're really cute animals, and they have three hearts, which may or may not be related to the cuteness, but is more likely related to the fact that they need two hearts to pump their uh, blue-green blood to the gills and one to circulate oxygenated blood to the rest of the body. They can't hear them. Oh, really? But they do detect sound in the form of um, pressure waves. And how do they do that? By way of some handy lateral epidermal lines. Oh, well, they feel like the the wave pressure on them. Neat. I think that's the way that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the way it works. Um. Oh, and, and again, before we we're getting to the camouflage, but just a, a couple of other interesting things about them. Uh, size. When it comes to the size of these cuttlefish, the smallest species grows to be about three inches long, and I believe these are typically like occupy like sort of tidal areas, like tidal pool areas. And then the largest of the species, which is called the broad club cuttlefish, which sounds like a real thug of a of a sea creature. Yeah, the club, uh, I think, is what gives you that impression. Well, also broad club cuttlefish, like it takes the, you know, we think of cuttle, we think of, you know, like, you know, like 
kittens spooning each other or something. But, <laughs> but, but, and so you think of that when you, when you hear But the it word, is C-U-T-T-L-E. I know, I know. It's just not the same. Clarify. Just to clarify. Yeah, it is. It's a different word. But then when you throw bl- broad club on there, it's like that just totally throws it out. And those, uh, suckers can get to, um, to be, uh, like five and a half feet long. And then the, uh, the, uh, common cuttlefish is more in the three foot range. I'm also excited that there is a species known as, um, Fiefer's flamboyant cuttlefish. Oh, right. Yeah. These are the guys that are able to, um, kind of walk along yeah. the ocean floor. Yeah. They're apparently the only type of cuttlefish that kind of walks along and they're really cool looking. They're very, I don't know, the pictures I saw, they were kind of a dark red kind of thing, but, um, you know, they're cuttlefish. So I imagine that changes depending on, uh, you know, seasonal fashions. Yeah. They're fickle, those cuttlefish. So let's talk a, a little bit about their, uh, camouflage. Okay. Yeah, they can, uh, like we said, they can change from like white to purple in a flash. Uh, they, they appear to sort of pulsate with light. You know, it's very magical looking, uh, iridescent. And then the, the very, um, surface of their skin can sort of change. Like it'll look, look, you know, just soft to the touch at one, at one point, And then it'll kind of crinkle into this, uh, this rocky, uh, surface. Uh, and, you know, just again, it, it happens so subtly. Like if you're watching them in a tank, it's 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 like a trick of the eye almost because because I mean, they'll do like a quick flash here and there where those suddenly they're a different color. Suddenly their texture changes. But a lot of it's just really subtle, like a mood ring or something. Yeah. And all that awesome camouflage action is controlled by the chromatophores, which we kind of just mentioned. And those are just the pigment cells mm-hmm. and a heck of a lot of pigment cells, too. We're talking 10 million, uh, as many as 10 million. So. If you think about that per square millimeter, that's roughly 200 per square millimeter. So that's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. And they have these muscles that are attached to the chromatophores, and they tighten and relax to control which color is displayed. Cool. And then the uh, the changeable texture that I was talking about, that's uh, due to bundles of muscles that... Uh, that are uh, that are also under the skin that, that change the uh, the surface. So that's a, that's another component of the uh, disguise. You know, I feel like if I were in a bad mood, I would definitely want that spiky surface. <laughs> you know, stay away from me. I'm feeling kind of spiky. Yeah, I could I could see that being the case. It would be like imagine. Well, let's let's get through the next component, and then we'll imagine what life would be like if we had these abilities. Uh, because they also um, have these uh, reflecting plates. Um, under, underneath, yeah, underneath yeah. the uh, chromatophores, and that's uh, where you get that, uh, like I say, that arid- iridescent uh, reflection kind of thing going on. And they also have a vocabulary, so all that color comes in handy to communicate. Yeah, they're not necessarily highly social, but they uh, they are able to communicate as many, I think, as forty different signals. Um, biologists have identified. Yeah, they've they've identified like forty different. You know, combinations of, of color and texture and all that, that seem to mean a certain thing, uh, in the cuttlefish world and between cuttlefish. Um, so, it, you know, vocabulary is a nice, comfy human term we throw at it, but, but yeah, 40 different, uh, different signals. For instance, um, if you zebra display? Yeah, zebra display. Have, Have you, you ever seen one do this, by the way? I've, I've definitely seen photos of it, but it seems like when I see them in tanks, no, I think, I think I have seen a zebra display. Right. So zebra display, you want to watch out because that's basically communicating. I'm a male. I'm ready to duke it out. Yeah. It's like I, humans have their, I think all animals have their zebra displays. They just, uh. What is the human zebra display? How do we display? Um. How do humans display anger? Well, I don't know. I kind of see a zebra display on Marta sometimes. Like sometimes you'll see like the dude that's kind of like, that's, um, he, he'll kind of like, he'll put a, like a small bag in the Marta seat next to him. Oh, yeah. And he kind of sits there with like kind of a tough guy look. You know, it's, it's all, you know, it's all body language and all, but it's kind of like, I'm a dude. Don't sit next to me. You know, I'm tough. Don't mess with me. Kind of a thing. 
Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Or maybe you make eye contact for a second and you kind of hold your glance and then you look away, you look away real fast. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. The, the stink eye, if you will. I guess the stink eye is more of a, like, it's not really, yeah, it's, it's a different thing. You guys missed it. You should be in the uh, studio with us because Robert just tried to do the stink eye, which was kind of funny. <laughs> but yeah, imagine if though you, like our, our daily lives, I mean, we, again, we have body language, we have our, 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 our facial, like micro expressions, but imagine like if it were like super pronounced and we, you know, we communicated through flashes of color and, and, uh, and, and weird textures and, and iridescent displays, it'd be pretty, uh, pretty amazing. In fact, there's a there's one group of uh, researchers from uh, Woods Hole, right? Yeah, Woods Hole uh, Marine Biology Laboratory in Massachusetts that uh, are looking into the possibility that uh, that the, um, the, that that iridescent display relates to uh, this thing they call light polar- polarization signaling. What and does that mean? That means that there's just a, there's like an entirely different layer of communication. It's like a very subtle communication that they're pulling off between each other based on the kind of shimmering. Uh, displays that you see uh, go on and with their skin. So we might be picking up the obvious zebra display, but there's another signal. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be, yeah. It'd be the, the, the subtext, I guess, you know, to the cuttlefish subtext. I like that. So one of the most interesting signs that, uh, for aggression that they have is that the peace signal. Oh yeah. You're telling me about this. This is Mm -hmm. cool. So they hold up the two, uh, fingers or arms. Yeah, they, they hold up a couple of the arms. Um, it kind of, and it looks a lot like if, like right now I'm, I'm holding up two fingers, like I'm doing the peace signal, um, the peace sign. And, uh, apparently if they're, if they're in a situation where they're trying to intimidate somebody or ward off something, if the colors don't work, they'll raise those two, um, those two arms up. So you'll have divers apparently that when they're diving, uh, down and dealing with cuttlefish, as a lark, they will, uh, they'll, they'll give the peace sign to the cuttlefish and the <laughs> cuttlefish will give the peace sign back. <laughs> Though they totally different meanings. The, uh, you know, the, the, the human diver is doing it, you know, out of humor and, and out of a sense of peace. He doesn't want to harm the cuttlefish. Generally, I, I would hope. And the cuttlefish is saying, stay the heck away from me. Yeah. Whammo. I'm going to blast you with a pseudomorph if you don't watch yeah. out, buddy. <laughs> I love the pseudomorphs. That's amazing. It'd be, it'd be, probably be a pretty good band name too. Let's talk about the mating, though. Yeah. This is really where the cuttlefish shines. Yeah, this is pretty pretty awesome. And there's a whole segment on uh, on life that deals with this from the underwater creatures uh, episode. And uh, it's kind of a gender bender. Yes, it is a gender bender. Like it basically breaks down to in the male in the the world of male cuttlefish, you kind of have two types of dudes. You have the big, it's kind of like, you ever seen those, uh, like the, the cartoons of the old, like 1950s type of things where you have the wormy guy on the beach and he goes out there with his girlfriend and then the big muscle dude kicks sand on him. Yes. Well, that's, definitely. that's the same thing that's going on here. We have the big beefy cuttlefish that are out on the beach to pick up a chick. And then there's the wormy dude that, you know, might have brought his, his book, you know, with him to read his, his, you know, sci-fi collection or something. You know? Um, <laughs> And so, uh, so those are the two guys out there vying for the, um, for the females. So when it comes down to muscle, there's going to be one winner, of course. Right, right. And that's going to be the broad beefy guy. Yeah. But that's not to say that the female cuttlefish won't, uh, let the, the more petite male approach. And the petite male has to be really careful about this because nobody wants to get beat up cuttlefish style or in real life. Yeah. They can really, I've seen some images of them tearing it up down there and they can get pretty vicious in their, their, their fights. So the smaller size cuttlefish will uh, change its colors to reflect the coloration of a female. Yeah, and it'll kind of like make himself small and... Submissive posturing mm-hmm. type. 
you know, and it'll get real close to the female, the mate that it has identified. And that's how it wins the battle. And that's really how the broad, beefy guys and the, you know, smaller, petite, perhaps more intelligent gender bender cuttlefish coexist. Yeah. And it, because it's like both, both variants of the cuttlefish are important for the survival of the species. So yeah, you'll have the big, uh, the big beefy male cuttlefish will be hanging out there with the, 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 the female it hopes to, to mate with. And then it sees this other female. It thinks it's a female coming over and it's like, Oh, well, that's great. Maybe I'll mate with that one next. Not knowing that that is a male coming over to totally steal his lady. Yeah. The female's the smart one here. She's perpetuating the broader genetic pool. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's also important to take into account the way they mate. The male uh, uses a modified arm to transfer his genetic material into the female's buccal area. Um, Sounds romantic. Yeah, and the part of her mouth that stores the male's uh, spermatophores uh, for use later. Like, she actually then takes the um, this kind of, like, sp- packaged, prepackaged sperm and then uh, puts it on the eggs later. So, you know, if she has, like, a little from uh, column A and a little from column B then that's great because you'll end up having this mixed um, offspring that'll com- can be both, you know, the, the smaller, sleeker, uh, you know, stealthier dudes and the uh, the big tough ones. So Yeah, why limit your options, ladies? Yeah, and, and then she'll, of course, want to keep that protected. So she'll store um, her eggs in, you know, under rocks or in a nice handy discarded shell or something like that. Yeah, and and that's again like I've got we actually got to see those uh, those those eggs uh, when we went to Monterey. It was really, really cool. Yeah, I also advise uh, going over to the life site over in Discovery if you're at all interested in the cuttlefish or learning a little bit more about these guys in action because it really is amazing footage. And hats off to the men and women who captured this on film because, again, I cannot imagine how complicated it must have been to sort out all the different characters in the cuttlefish drama. Oh, yeah, and the results are just completely splendid, like just Def- definitely ch- check it out, if, if even if you only check out like some uh, some video on the site, you know. Um, and, uh, and also on the site where we have uh, a whole bunch of articles that, uh, that, w- that we wrote and put together, uh, like for instance, I interviewed, uh, life producer, Neil Lucas about this very scene. And he was the one who told me the whole uh, story about the editing woes. And, uh, and he had a lot of just, you know, funny things to say about, uh, you know, his experience with, uh, with the cuttlefish. Yeah, that was a fun project. You it got was. to talk to a lot of cool BBC producers. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Got to, got to, uh, make a lot of phone calls to the UK. <laughs> Do you want to move into uh, listener mail? Yes. Um, I actually have a really cool one here, uh, and it's a response to our, uh, our uh, to a recent uh, episode we did about uh, snipers, military snipers. So this comes from Gabriel in uh, Chicago, Illinois. He says, "Hi all." I just finished hearing the episode on snipers, and you should know that the sniper duel versus sniper wolf referenced in the show actually happened in Metal Gear Solid 1. We're talking about video games here. Thank you. Thank you for Uh, that. Not two. I I, I must have said it was two. And speaking of which, that duel was recreated in Metal Gear Solid 4, where you were locked in Mortal Kombat with Crying Wolf while evading her soldiers in blizzard conditions. The other difference is that she can smell you coming. Definitely give that game a try. It's excellent. If you like Sniper Duels and Metal Gear, uh, the one in, in Metal Gear Solid 3 is, in my opinion, the best one. Um, and he says, actually, nerd lecture aside, I love the, this podcast. This one is definitely <laughs> one of my faves. I did have a question, though. How do they calculate how many calories food has, and how do they determine how much activity it takes to burn one off? I love that Gabriel is kind of a 
man of wide-ranging interests. Well, I, I feel like a lot of our interests, I mean, a, a lot of our uh, our listeners have to be because, you know, we're talking about snipers one day and then it's cuttlefish and then it's composting. So, you know. Yeah, he's kind of a renaissance man. So anyway, Gabriel, thank you for straightening me out on my Metal Gear. because uh, Go play that game, Robert. <laughs> Report got, back. I've got too many games I have to play. That it's just, I'll never play all the so if you guys want to connect with us on video games, cuttlefish, or hey, snipers too, send us an email at sciencestuff at howstuffworks.com or uh, look us up on Facebook. Yeah, we're on Facebook as Stuff from the Science Lab, and you'll find us on Twitter as Lab Stuff. That's all we got, guys. Thanks for listening. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage.